Um, a few, a few weeks ago, me and Joe and our three children um, went to a Christian camping festival called Wildfires. Just give us a wave if you've heard of Wildfires before. Uh, only a few of us? Okay. Basically, it's a, it's a yearly camping festival that a, a number of network of churches put on. And about five or 6,000 people come together and we worship and we hear anointed preaching and it's just a time where us as a family, we go uh, and, and Pioneer, they're a part of putting it on and we're a part of Pioneer, King's Church. Are. And it's just a, a point of the year where me and Joe and the kids go and we just say, God, would you pour into us as a family? We just want to go and receive everything that you've got for us. And God meets with us in such a powerful way every time. Um, the kids, um, our two girls go to youth and Aaron goes to the kids again, they come out of the youth sessions just absolutely buzzing. Um, you know, Lucy and Hannah were saying, Dad, everyone is just so passionate for Jesus. Um, uh, there are so many people my age who love God. And, and we came away with a, a new hunger to follow him and, and such a sense that we are all a, par, a part of something that is far bigger than ourselves. Um, so it is, it is quite a trek away. It's um, basically if you go all the way down through England um, and you go all the way down until you get stopped by the sea on the south coast, that's where it is. It's in a place called Sussex. It's about a five-hour drive. And this year, we had a really nice journey. Um, the journey went really, really well. Um, it was a lot better than our journey last year. Let me tell you a little bit about our journey last year. We were all prepared. Uh, we were feeling a little bit apprehensive about camping with three children. Um, how were we going to cook? Would our tent hold up? Um, and even worse, a couple of weeks before, Jo had um, sprained her knee. So she was walking on crutches, and we were like, oh, how is Jo going to manage camping with a sprained knee? Um, and we were driving on the M25 motorway, and then suddenly our car broke down. Yeah, so you know when you're driving on the motorway and you see like a stranded car and you think, oh, that poor family in the middle of the motorway, that was us a year ago, okay? And we were stood on the hard shoulder, but don't worry because we have got the RAC, <laughs> product placement. <laughs> um, but eventually the RAC, they came to rescue us and the, guy, the RAC guy, I have no idea what he did. But he fixed up our car, and we kind of stumbled into wildfires. And uh, we got there just before dusk, so we were like frantically trying to put up our tent before it got dark, but we made it. Uh, and then we had this amazing time at wildfires where we all met God, and, and God did loads of stuff in us. And then on the way back, we left at 11 p.m., I know, 11 p.m. In the dark, we thought, we'll drive through the night, um, and our car decided to die again. But this time, guys, it was an eternal death, okay? There was, no, there was no resuscitation. There was no resurrection. The car died. Stum, that was it. And, and this time, it took us 11 hours via various rescue vehicles to finally get us home. And, and the whole experience, after going from the highs of wildfires and meeting with God to having this 11-hour experience was just exhausting, I'll be honest. And, and in the moment, it really felt like there were powerful forces at work working against us, that there was something at work trying to stop us 
from getting to wildfires. And then on our way home, something that was seeking to rob us of our joy and all that God had done in our lives. You see, when we look back, that time last year was a very significant point, a significant hinge point in our life as a family. A, play, a time where God really did stuff in us. And whenever God wants to do something significant, there is an enemy who seeks to want to disrupt, spoil, and ruin it. And much of the time, we can be blissfully unaware of it, getting ourselves out of bed in the morning, fretting about getting to work or school on time, homework assignments, household chores, saving up for that holiday. And it's easy to become consumed with the busyness of life and lose that awareness that we are in a war. But make no mistake about it, folks. We are in a war. There is a war raging all around us right now. And our enemy is ruthless, utterly ruthless. He plays by no rules, and he's out to steal, to kill, and destroy all that God does. Um, me and Joe will have been married 16 years this summer. I know, I know you, can, you can applaud, guys. 16 years. It, it is a miracle that Joe has put up with me for so long. Can we give Joe a round of applause? <laughs> and um, do, we have, do we have the next slides? Um, just here is, is a picture of where we, we, we visited Rome uh, for our 10th wedding anniversary. And the favorite place where we visited was a place called the Colosseum. And, and the Colosseum, you know, what I loved about Rome is everywhere we visited, I'm, I'm a maths teacher, by the way, so everywhere we visited, like, involved somehow the two most important things in life, Christianity and maths. And, and everywhere was about mathematics and Christ, the history of Christianity. And the, we went to see the Colosseum, which was my favorite place, because the Colosseum was the arena of like the greatest battle arena possibly we have standing on this earth today. That, that as we went there, the tour guide would say, you know, the Colosseum, it's made within this specific mathematical ratio. And, and I was saying, wow. And Joe and the kids were saying, you're so... No, the, the kids weren't there. Joe was saying, you're so geeky. Um, but it was, it was fascinating. And, but, but as you're walking uh, along the ground of the Colosseum, you're just like, you're just aware that over the years and the history that, that actually you're walking along pieces of ground where literal blood has been shed. Like actually real battles and, and, and real gladiators and, and real, have fought literal battles here and have been slain and have been slain on this ground. That, that we're, we're walking around a great battle arena. Um, it reminds me of one of the biggest arenas of battle in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And that is the battle for the altar. You see, the altar, the altar is a place where we sacrifice to God. And there is a great battle going on in the invisible realm for what will we sacrifice to? What will we give our lives to? Um, what will be the highest place, the highest altar 
in our lives. And you kind of see this in uh, Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Moses says, will you let my people go so that they can go and worship me and offer sacrifices to me? And, and Pharaoh says, I will not let you go. And suddenly you see in invisible form, like a visible manifestation of the invisible war that's going on all around us. This standoff between God, Moses representing God, and Pharaoh representing the powers of darkness. Um, and it's like, who will, who will hold out? Um, you know, who will, you know, what's going to happen with our altars? Um, and the enemy, you know, stirs things up and says, no, I'm not going to let God's people sacrifice to their God. Um, and Moses in God says, yeah, let my people go that they may sacrifice and worship me. You see, James Fraser, I'm reading a biography at the moment by a guy called James Fraser. He was a Western missionary. And he traveled to the mountains of China to try to reach um, people over there. And he was really struck because he was from the West. And in the West, we kind of have a tendency to minimize the spiritual realm or the unseen realm. We have a, a tendency to kind of dismiss it and think, well, those gods aren't real. Those powers aren't real, are they? Um, but, but then when he went to, 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 to visit these mountain people, he, he realized that they were so aware of this unseen conflict that we live in. And you know, the New Testament reveals to us the reality of the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in today. Powers of darkness resisting God's will. Gideon found himself living in a time of war like that. Will you turn to me to Judges 6, verses 24 to 25? If you haven't got your Bible, then um, you can read it behind me. Um, so Gideon lived in a time of war. And it's interesting. What we read here is we read like an insight into where is this war really taking place? What is the battleground? What is the arena for this war? What are we fighting for? And it says this. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal. Ah, this is the battleground. Pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold there. In other words, there's two altars. There's an altar to Baal, and God says, I want you to tear down that altar. And I want you, instead of that altar, to make an altar for me. You see, God realized the enemies come in here and he's eroded the altar for the Lord. Now, what happens if there's no altar? If there's no altar, God's people can't sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice, there's no kingdom advancement. So, so there's an insight here. And, and God says to Gideon, the first thing you do before you take on any of those Moabites, before you take any ground, first thing I want you to do is I want you to take down the stronghold of that altar. And I want you to establish for my people, Gideon, I want you to reestablish an altar. Guys, we've been through a worldwide pandemic. We've been through times of such turmoil and chaos is it possible through the times that we've lived that somehow, without us even realizing, that somehow the enemy's got in and eroded 
the altar of the Lord, the place where we sacrifice. And is it possible that just like back then, in the same way now, God might be saying, people of God, it's time to rebuild my altar. It's time to rebuild a place again where my people can come and they can bring their sacrifices. Because whenever people bring sacrifices, that's the place where the kingdom advances. God says it's time to reestablish my altar. You see, the altar is a place where love is expressed. Um, you know, like, what other God, what other God actually would leave his throne, come down to the earth, and then sacrifice himself on the altar for the sake of his people? Um, what God do we serve? Um, the altar is the place where war is waged. Where do we achieve the victory, guys? When we look upon the cross, when we look upon the altar, when we look upon our God whose blood was shed, the sacrifice on the altar, the blood, that's where we achieve our victory. Um, so God doesn't want us to sacrifice animals or burnt offerings. He doesn't want us to, to offer sacrifices to, tr to try and earn his approval or his favor. We already have it, by the way. Um, Romans 12 verse 1 says, Offer yourselves up as living sacrifices. What does God want from us? He wants ourselves. You see, guys, there's something so beautiful about a surrendered heart. You know, just a heart that is surrendered to God. God, I belong to you. <clears throat> all those passions, all those desires, they all belong to you. You know, um, Amaka and Kunli, they're in the process of moving house. Um, did you know that, that God, God is in the process of looking for mission partners? He's always thinking, just as, just as Kunli and Amaka are looking, you know, we're really looking forward to moving into their new home. Well, God's looking for places. Where can I, where can I send my power? Where can I send my fire? Where can I send my presence to a surrendered people who have an altar built in their heart to me? You know, God showers our lives with wonderful blessings. He places us in a church community. He gives us loving parents. He provides for us by giving us money, food, homes, educational opportunities, friends. He gives us children. He gives us jobs. And, and you know how wonderful it is to live in God's blessings. But sometimes, particularly over here in the West, sometimes when we receive these blessings, it can be really tempting to shut up shop, to say, hang on, you know, like, like, we want to start protecting what we have. You know, like, like the innkeeper who opened the door to Mary and Joseph. And, and Mary and Joseph, and they were carrying God in baby form. And, and they were knocking on the door. And, and, and the, the innkeeper opened the door and said, hang on. I've got too many blessings in my life right now. And, and I'm enjoying life. And there's not, there's not really much room for sacrifice right now. I don't know if I want to put myself out. I tell you what, I'll do it next year. But the problem is, is that Mary and Joseph and God in baby form, they don't have a need next year. They're asking now. And God says, I'm not asking next year. 
I'm not asking tomorrow. I'm not asking yesterday. I'm asking now. I'm saying, will you build an altar now? Will you sacrifice to me now? I'm knocking on the door today. And you know, like, I understand because I have three beautiful children who I love more than anyone in the world, you know, and they are growing up so quickly. I mean, last year, would you believe it, Lucy became a teenager officially. A a teenager. Um, She was just learning to walk yesterday. What happened? Um, And, you know, I want to make the most of my time with them before they flow the nest. Um, and, And I've struggled in recent years with... Do you know, like, don't give God your all now, Kev, because, you know, you, you can do that later, but now you're in a season to be with your kids. So, so be with your kids now. And, and you know, there's, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> there are worse things you can give your life to. But, you know, I feel a bit comforted because our father in the faith, Abraham, he struggled with this. Abraham had someone he loved more than anyone in the, unit, in the world. Who was it? His son, Isaac. And and God tested him, and he said, God, would, would you offer Isaac on the altar? Now, here we are. We know this. We know the heart of God. God would never allow Isaac to come to harm. But God realized there's a high place that's been established in Abraham's life. And, 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 and that, that will put a ceiling on what he can use Abraham for. And so he says, you need to tear down that high place in order that the whole world could be blessed um, through you, Abraham. And... And so I've wrestled with this, and, and through it, in recent months, I've heard God say, Kev, it's time. It's time to rebuild the altar, because what you're not aware of is the enemy's got in, and the enemy has destroyed the altar, and it's time to rebuild the altar, guys. You see, one of the things that I want most for Lucy, Hannah, and Aaron is, is that I want them to grow up not to be churchgoers, not to just be Christians tick box, but they would be passionately in love with Jesus. That they would go on adventures with him. That they would, be, that they would just know such a close walk with him. And, and God's asked me, you know, what are you, do, what are you demonstrating to your children? Like when your children look at your life, where's the altar? Where's the altar? And those words cut me to my heart. Because, you know, the kids, they don't learn. I wish they did. But they don't learn but through what we say. <laughs> they learn from what they see. And when they look in my life, I don't want them to hear me say, make an altar, sacrifice to God. I want them to see in my life, there is an altar. It's clear to see. Because that's the pathway to adventures to God with God. Um, you see... Did Jesus, the one who blesses us with all things, not also say in Matthew 10, 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Maybe for you it's something different. Are there any things right now in your life that have become higher than God's altar? Maybe just pause for a minute. 
Holy Spirit, is there anything in our lives that has been set up as a high place? Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe it's a good thing. But suddenly it becomes higher than the altar of God. And God says, it's time. It's time to rebuild my altar. Oh, I think I've lost my microphone. I'm getting in a fuddle here. <laughs> Thanks, Kalani. When you need help, Kalani's always there. You know, we've been hearing so much about mission partners. Um, you know, God moves through our sacrifice. I love that about God. That, that, that God actually, he prefers not to do stuff by himself. God actually prefers, he could do everything by himself, but he decides, he says, no, I love my children so much that I want to do things with my children. Um, that's how God works. It's just his heart. And that's what being a mission partner is all about. So like we pray, God, would you heal my neighbor or, or heal my colleague? And God says, sure. But what I really love is I'd really love, like the pinnacle of joy for God is that he says, I want to do it with you. <laughs> um, and, and we pray, God, you know, there's someone I just met this morning in church who, who, who actually has got a massive need, and would you, would you provide for them? And God says, I'm the provider. You've come to the right place. I am the provider, and I could provide in an instant. But actually, my joy is complete when I do it with you, you know? So actually, would you partner with me? And actually, how about it comes from your bank account? And, and actually, there's a sacrifice there. That there's a real sacrifice, but, but actually God moves through the sacrifice because he wants to do it with us. We ask, you know, we say, God, you know, my, my friends or, or someone I know really needs strengthening and encouraging. And God says, oh, I could strengthen them. I can encourage them. All strength and encouragement comes from me, but I really want to do it through your mouth. Um, you know, we, we say, God, would you save my, my mom or my dad or my friend? And God says, of course. And I can save in an instant. But what brings me great pleasure is when they get saved through your mouth. Um, you know, I first met Jesus when I was 22 years old. I know I've, I've only been a Christian a couple of years, I know. Um, um, how many years ago was it? It's about 20, 20 years ago. And, um, you know, but, but Jesus, he didn't reveal himself to me independently. I know he does sometimes, but he didn't. Actually, he revealed himself to me through a, one of my colleague, my work colleagues, Kalida. And she came up to me and she shared the gospel with me. When I say shared the gospel, it wasn't a four-point gospel. She came up to me. She said, Kev, I want you to know I've been praying for you. And Jesus knows you. And he wants you to get to know him. And he loves you so much. That was it. And she said she was so nervous, she was so scared before she uh, came up to me. Do you understand? She was prepared to sacrifice. She was prepared to look a little bit stupid. She was prepared for me to laugh at her. But God used that sacrifice of that lady over 20 years ago in order to help me to come to know Jesus. And, and you know, when I, when I, when I joined the church... I wasn't, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home with Christian values. So I remember joining the church and I loved what I saw. But um, like, I, 
like I didn't feel at home. Like, like I felt at home when I was with my old friends in, in a pub, drinking a, a pint of beer or, or, or doing things that I like to do. But when I went to a church, I needed a lot of help because I didn't really feel like I belonged. And, you know, I, I just remember within uh, a few months, some of my connect leaders um, were a young married couple. And uh, they, invi- they saw that my house where I lived with wasn't good for me. So they said, come and live with us, Kev. And at the time, I didn't realize the sacrifice. But now, when I'm married with children, I know the sacrifice of having someone into your home. But they took me into their home, and I lived with them for, for, for four or five months. And, and some other members of the church, I didn't drive. Some other members of the church, they said to me, Kev, God just spoke to me after a church meeting. God just spoke to us, and they said, um, and God said, he wants you to learn to drive. Here's money for driving lessons. And guess what? We're going to keep on giving you driving lessons until you pass your test. Um, You know, God uses our sacrifice. Have we got the next slide? Um, This here is a a guy called Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man committed to following Jesus. And he felt very strongly to reach out to a lost tribe in the middle of the Ecuadorian rainforest. They were called the Alka people. And, uh, and this took much sacrifice. So he had to learn the language. So years of study, years of sacrifice, you know, long hours studying the language. How are we going to reach these people for Jesus? And, and then he went with four of his four other men. Um, and he went out to reach them for Jesus. He was married um, to a woman called Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was pregnant. And then on... January the 8th, 1956, at the age of 28, he went with these four other young men to share the gospel with the Alka people. But see, the enemy didn't like the gospel reaching his territory. And so they were speared to death by the hostile tribe. The world said, what a waste, 28 years old, left behind a widow and, um, and an unborn child. Um, The world grieved. What a waste. What a waste, they said. What a sacrifice. But then in his diary that was later found, it was found that Jim Elliot had previously written, he is no fool. He who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Just think about that for a moment. He is no fool. He who gives what he cannot keep to gain what I cannot lose. Turn with me to Mark 14, verse 3 and 4. We read here about another woman who sacrificed for her Lord and Master. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, this is Jesus, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Just think about that for a moment. That actually, this was something that happened thousands of years ago. And now, 2,000 years later, we still sing about that woman. You know that song, like, like our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. 
You know, we still sing about this beautiful act of sacrifice that this woman once did, that she poured the most expensive perfume over the head of our King Jesus. And, and the disciples, like, if we're going to relate with anyone, let's relate to the disciples. We're the disciples. So, so we're the Christians. We're the ones who know our stuff. You know, we know our Bible. We know our theology. We know Jesus. And, and what was the disciples' reaction? They looked at it and they said, what a waste. Do you know, you can almost hear the words of the enemy there, can't you? What a waste. What a waste. What a waste. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for many years. Maybe you're a parent and, and you've poured out your life into your children and you've brought them up, you know, knowing Jesus. And you've, you, you've poured your life out into your children and you look at your children now and maybe they're a bit grown up. Maybe they're a bit older and, and they're not walking in all that you'd like them to walk in. And you hear the enemy's words 2,000 years later whispering, what a waste. What a waste. Maybe you've, you've poured out your life into the church community in the good times and the bad times. Um, you've given everything, but in the process, you've got hurt, wounded, disappointed, let down. And you've heard the enemy's words whisper in your ear, what a waste. And you've reacted, you've responded as anyone would. And you've said, actually, I'm, I'm a bit more hesitant to sacrifice now. And, and in that moment, the enemy's got in. And the altar of the Lord has been eroded. What a waste. Phil Collins once wrote a song called Against All Odds. And in that song, he said these words. Take a look at me now. I'm just an empty space. Sometimes when you pour out everything to God, that's what it can feel like. You can... You could just feel like, take a look at me now, God. I've given you my everything, but take a look at me now. I'm just an empty space. You know, this is a very personal message for me because this is what happened to me. You know, um, me and Joe, we spent many years leading in, in, in church leadership, and we poured our life and our energy and, and everything into the church. But I ended up getting to a place where I just got totally burned out Take a look at me now, God. I'm just an empty space. I've got nothing left to give. Um, I reached a place where I couldn't even manage to face people on Sundays. Couldn't even manage to bring myself to have a conversation with people. Maybe you can relate. Maybe it's something different to you, but maybe you've made sacrifices in the past that has led to your detriment. And you've come to a place where you thought, what a waste. You know, that is a very valid place. We don't want to sacrifice to God that which he hasn't asked us to sacrifice. But it's also a very dangerous place, a very vulnerable place, a place where, if we're not careful, the enemy can erode the altar. Let's rewind again and go back to Gideon's time. The enemy's tactics, remember, first destroy the altar, the place of sacrifice. <clears throat> It's time, guys, to rebuild the altar. You see, the other word God gave me was that it's time for us to rediscover the joy of the sacrifice. You see, it's not, take a look at me now, I'm just an empty space. Actually, there's a joy, guys. 
there's a joy to be discovered in the sacrifice. You know, in, a, in the middle of the lockdown in 2020, um, you know, there was a poppy boom. Uh, you know, like loads of people decided when they were in the houses, couldn't leave, ah, we're going to get a dog um, in the middle of that time. Well, you know, we were one of those people. Um, and let me introduce you. This here is Lily the dog. She is our dog that we got in 2020. And, and when we got this dog, we, we picked her up and it was wonderful. We went, we drove. We, I remember sitting in the back seat and the puppy was on my lap and the kids were stroking her and everything was wonderful until we got back home. And the initial joy of having a dog quickly wore off and we realized that Lily didn't do anything that we said. She would chew things in the house. She would pull on the lead. And when we were out, you know, you see those people sometimes who let their dog off the lead and then they're chasing their dog. Lily, come here. And Lily is blissfully on ignoring everything that we say. And, uh, you know, the, but then we got a dog trainer in. And the dog trainer told us how dogs work. How dogs work is they work by reward. So if you say, Lily, come here, but she sees that there's something really exciting going on there, then there's a greater reward for her playing with another dog than coming back. So what you've got to do is you've got to have in your pocket like a, a sausage or chicken or something like that. It's really bad. Sometimes, if I get home, sometimes um, Joe will go through my pocket. She'll be like, this is gross. There's like a crushed sausage in your pocket, Kev, or bits of chicken breast that are like smelling and really manky, um, you know. Um, but, but that's how dogs work. They go to whoever gives them or whatever they get the best reward from. You know, we're not that dissimilar. You know, there are times in my walk with God when I'm faced with sacrificing something and I lose my perspective. And, and actually, what happens is I lose my perspective of the reward that God gives me. And when I start to lose my perspective of the reward, guess what happens? That the thing that God's asking me to sacrifice starts to feel a lot bigger. And that's when it gets really, really difficult. That's where the struggle is. But, you know, Hebrews, by the way, great name for coffee shop. If you're ever going to open a coffee shop, call it Hebrews. Hebrews 12.2. What does it say? It says when Jesus, when he endured the cross, it says that he did it for the joy set before him. So he was facing the cross, probably something greater than any of us could ever face. Um, you know, carrying like the weight of the sin of the world on your shoulders, let alone any of the physicalities of the cross. He was facing that, but it says that he kept before him, there was the joy. The joy set before him. There was a far greater reward. You see, God is a rewarder, guys, of persons. It's who he is. And, and I know that there is a reward when Jesus comes back. And if that's the only reward we do things for, that's enough for us. But, but actually, the, there is a reward in the here and now as well. Like the reward of a clean conscience. The reward of knowing that, like just carrying that joy that there's nothing between me and God. That actually I'm walking in closeness and intimacy with him. Or the reward of getting to partner with him in his mission. I mean, you know, like, like actually sharing the gospel with someone and someone saying, actually, I'm, 
I'm just up to my head in sin and, and mess. And actually, I want to see Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. Get the reward of that, that you get to play a part of that, or, or, or God using your hands to heal someone, or, or, or God using you to change a situation. The sheer joy of adventuring with God. And God says, for some of us, it's time to rediscover the joy of the sacrifice. Because anything we sacrifice for Jesus, anything we lay down, ultimately, it's not a sacrifice. Like Joe said to me this morning, it's like, it's like saying, will you give one penny in order to get a thousand pounds? Like, that's really what it's like. Like, like on a, on a, multiply that by a million. That's what it's like. Because our lives, every time when we sacrifice on the altar, our lives become richer, our lives become fuller, and we experience and become more like Jesus. <clears throat> and you know, I, I just got a few minutes left. I just want to finish with this. You know, maybe you've joined us only in recent years, and, and you like what you see. You enjoy being a part of this church. You know, um, you enjoy the worship team. You enjoy the building, the chairs, um, just the whole layout. It's just great being part. It's a great church to be part of. Um, I love King's Church. Um, we've got a wonderful heritage. But it's also good to remember, you know, that actually everything we enjoy right now, that actually is on, is on the back of, of, of people over the years who have fought battles at great cost, and sacrificed at great cost many years of their lives so that we could have this for nothing. <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, Joe's dad passed away. And Joe's dad was a, a, a hulking man. He was, he was tall, he was big. And, and Joe said at his funeral that she remembers when she was a toddler or even maybe a bit bigger, and that he would put her on his shoulders. And she would say she felt like she was standing on the shoulders of a giant. You know, guys, we stand on the shoulders of giants who have gone before us. God told me today that there are many hidden heroes in this house. People who have sacrificed daily on the altar their time, their effort, their dreams. People who have been faithful in small hidden things behind closed doors. And today, God says, I want to honor the hidden heroes in this house. You know, 30 years ago, this place was a bakery. <laughs> um, there was nothing here. Uh, it, it, King's Church did not exist. But God burst on one man's heart called Host Vedder, a vision of a city center church. And this building was bought at great cost and sacrifice of many who have gone before us. Men and women have wrestled for hours in prayer for what we have today. Sweat, tears, time, money for us to experience this. When I joined King's Church in 2003, the church was led by a team of elders, and the elders were exclusively male. Um, we, we, it was a great church, but if you were a woman and you had the hand of leadership on you, you could not be an elder. Um, and, and over the, you know, just look at today, and I see Lakundo, and I see Yatunde. And we have Judith. And I just think, wow, you know, that actually what we have inherited right now, that actually this has been at great cost. Battles have been fought to empower our women, that we would have women leading us today. How amazing is that? But actually that people, men like Richard, 
who fought great battles at great cost to himself to enable us to have empowered women amongst us. Um, that actually we enjoy worship. You know what, how wonderful it is when we're all worshiping and we're meeting with God and it's just easy to meet with God. And, but what we don't see is on Monday night, the worship team come in here to just practice and sacrifice their time so that we can enjoy it. Um, parents, unsung heroes of our community. Put your hand up if you're a parent. God, put your hand up if you're a parent. Do you know, these got unsung hidden heroes. How difficult is it bringing up your children? Um, uh, you are the unsung heroes of our community. People here who have opened up their home and cooked meals for others. All the food preparation beforehand, all the cleaning up, all to prepare a table that others can come and enjoy. God says, I will use your sacrifice. I will build my kingdom on the sacrifice that you offer to me. You get to choose. What will you offer to me? But I will tell you this, whatever you offer on the altar, I will use it. I will use it for my kingdom. Every single sacrifice we make for God smells so sweet to him. He loves to use it to seed and shape and mold into his purpose. I'm just going to ask us if we could stand, if, if, if you could. Uh, maybe if the worship team could maybe come. Lord God, we just open ourselves up to you right now. So many different situations we're facing right here. So many different, so many of us in different stages of life's journey. So many of us wrestling with different desires and passions. Just ask the Holy Spirit right now, what is he asking you to offer on his altar. Maybe you're feeling a wrestling right now. I don't want to lay it down. <laughs> I don't want to give it up. Just allow the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to rebuild the altar in our lives. Help us to have a place in our lives where we can offer our sacrifices to you, Jesus.